0: The reading this morning is from Micah chapter 3 verses 1 to 12. Listen you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. This is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. Therefore, night will come over you without visions and darkness, without divination. The sun will set for the prophets and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners disgraced. They will all cover their faces because there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power with the Spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin, Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort what is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, Is not the Lord among us? Therefore, because of you, Zion will be ploughed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The Temple Hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Bruce, for reading. You'll find the uh, reading inside the uh, little leaflet you were given. Uh, Also, a sermon outline. And on the back are some of the verses from elsewhere in the Bible that I'll be referring to. And in this sermon I'm building on Natalie's wonderful sermon from last week, of course. Some things to remember. In the Old Testament times, God's people were a nation among other nations and the inheritors of god's people are today a church not a nation from the new testament times onwards so peter describes god's people as god's elect exiles scattered and also in his first letter he says you're a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation god's special possession but The Church of God, the people of God today, is not a holy nation among other nations, one nation among many. No, the people of God are scattered among all nations, aren't we? People from every tribe and language and nation and people. So the application of the Old Testament is primarily to the Church, because we're the inheritors of God's promises in the Old Testament. But there's also some application to other nations, but it needs to be done carefully. If you want to know how nations should function, one great place to look at in the Old Testament is Amos chapter 1, which is about the nations and their war, brutality, betrayal, destruction and injustice. Or in the New Testament, Revelation chapter 18, which is about the nations of the world, their wealth, luxury, unjust trade, oppression and injustice. And all the time, from Romans 13, the nation, the government has a responsibility to punish evildoers and reward those who do right. But what we should not do is try and make all nations do all that God expects of his people. Forgive me for this example, but I think of the question of legalising prostitution. If I were a Member of Parliament and the bill came up to legalise prostitution, I would think to myself, I don't think there ought to be prostitution. But I suppose I would think it's better to have it legalised rather than not legalised. There's some, there's some defence for sex workers. So I'd vote for legalising prostitution. But if the suggestion came up at the St Hugh's Annual General Meeting <laughs> that we should legalise prostitution among the congregation, I'd probably vote against it. <laughs> Sorry, it's a simple point, but we must have different standards for God's people than we can expect of people who don't claim to be God's people. That's why Paul keeps on saying, not among you, in his letters. And uh, as we heard Andrew Cattay speaking at the St Jude's Convention, he warned against theonomy, that is, trying to make a whole nation obey Christian rules. That is inappropriate God expects Christian rules and standards for churches, but not for nations. Secondly, uh, and this is a bit of a shock for us, I think, Micah speaks God's words to communal sins of nation and church, not to individuals. So, whenever we read the Bible, we naturally think of the question, Well, what about me? What have I done? Does this apply to me? But actually, when you're reading something like Malachi, and indeed lots of the Bible as a matter of fact, the first question should be, not what about me, but what about us? It's so with Romans, isn't it? It was written to the Church, not to individuals, uh, most of the New Testament letters are written to churches. And if you want to see how Jesus speaks to churches, read Revelation 2 and 3. There he's talking to how churches function, not just how individuals function. And it's a feature of being a part of the West in the 21st century that we naturally individualise everything and so miss the application to the body or to the nation. So imagine uh, our sermon this morning was from uh, 1 John, Love One Another. Well, you could hear the message and think, well, I am loving my na- my neighbours in church, so that's really good. But actually the message in 1 John about loving one another is addressed to the church, so we can't rest until not, not just uh, I love everybody in the church, which is a bit of a challenge I must admit, but still, there it is. But everybody in the church loves everybody in the church. That's a big agenda, isn't it? That would take lots of prayer, wouldn't it? Do you see the point? When the message is addressed to the group of people, we have to think of it as a member of a group. And uh, if you read the letters uh, uh, in uh, Revelation 2 and 3, you'll see that Jesus is often a bit grumpy about churches, not only for what they do, but for what they allow. But then there are communal, national sins, aren't there, of nations. <laughs> I've got an immense list here, but here are some of them. Uh, selfishness, corruption and the gap between the rich and the poor, Messing up the environment, failure to provide adequate health care, education, justice and equality, war and uh, expelling refugees. Let's think about the communal sins of Australia – it's a long list. I always start with racism. I was asked to preach a sermon at uh, City on a Hill a few weeks ago on racism and I pointed out how endemic racism is in Australia. So, uh, the anti-Chinese racism of the 19th century was vicious, and in the Buckland Valley, 2,000 Chinese miners were chased out of the place by the uh, Europeans who were there. Or think of the... White Australia policy of the early part of the 20th century. Uh, White Australia wasn't actually mentioned in the policy, but its plan was to keep Chinese people and Pacific Islanders out of the country. And the rather clever thing they did was to devise a language test by which they could exclude anybody they wanted from Australia. We had a language test by which we could exclude anybody we wanted from Australia. Uh, And the thing was you had to be able to understand a European language. Well, one Jewish communist arrived who spoke five European languages. You think they'd let him through. But they asked him to recite the Lord's Prayer in Scottish Gaelic (laughs) and then told him he'd failed the test and was not allowed into the country. Uh, Quite apart from having a white Australia policy when many people living in Australia were not white. Alcohol the gap between rich and poor, abortion on demand, getting reports and not acting on them, lack of political energy and sacrifice, entertainment rather than reality, and money rather than God. And the sobering fact is, churches often copy their national sins. I was visiting one Asian country and an elderly man said to me our politicians are corrupt, our judges are corrupt and our journalists are corrupt, there is no hope for us. And then I heard of a man who wanted to chair a church committee so he took a gun along and placed it on the table and said I'm going to be the chairman which gave me a new insight into the way one can function in the Diocese of Melbourne and indeed in St Jude's. But when we get excited about national sins, we should also reflect on the way in which those national sins may be expressed in our churches. Third introductory point, I'm only going to go for an hour and a half, so don't worry, we'll get to the text eventually. Third introductory point is that Micah's prophecy was effective. Uh, On the back you'll find a wonderful quotation from Jeremiah chapter 26, 130 years later. Jeremiah is preaching disaster to Jerusalem and they're about to kill him. But some of the elders of the land stepped forward and said to the entire assembly, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah. He told all the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says, Zion will be ploughed like a field, Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble, the temple mound a mound overgrown with thickets. Did not Hezekiah, that is the king, fear the Lord and seek his favour? And did not the Lord relent? So he, he did not bring about the disaster he pronounced against them. So Micah prophesied these serious words and the people repented and relented and the king led them. And so the destruction of Jerusalem was delayed for 130 years. So we need to read this prophecy in that context that the words of the prophet worked God's will for his people. Well, the theme of my, if you'd like to turn to the to Micah chapter 3, uh, I, I picked up the theme, embrace justice from verse 1 and do not despise it from verse 9. It seems to me those instructions balance really well. You have to embrace justice and the alternative is despising it. So embrace it, don't despise it. And you'll see the way we've set out the text, there's the warning and then the consequence. The, lood- the leaders of Jacob, the rulers of Israel, shouldn't not embrace justice? What do they do instead? It's a gruesome picture of them hating good and loving evil so much that they're destroying the people. It's like putting them in a cooking pot, tearing them apart. It's a, it's a vivid and revolting description of what the leaders were doing at that time regarding the people as fodder, as food for themselves. What will happen to them, those leaders, the rulers? Well, if they don't uh, embrace justice, then they, the leaders will cry out to the Lord, but he won't answer them. He'll hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. So, God will not answer their prayers. The prophets... Verse 5, this is what the Lord says, As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. That is, they're prophesying for money. They're giving people the answer they want, and they're being paid to do it and this frightening judgment for the prophets, night will come over you without visions, darkness without divination, the sun will set for the prophets, the day will go dark for them, they'll be ashamed, the divine is disgraced, they'll all cover their faces because there is no answer from God. They're prattling away, you see, their own ideas, their own impressions. They're prattling away what the world is saying around them, what the rulers are saying, but there is no word from God to them. The false prophets tell of their own impressions, their own feelings, their own convictions or affect their own society. But they do not speak God's words and they spoke for the highest biddy, bidder. They sold themselves and their ministry for money. But how kind of God to send a prophet to that mess. To that disaster. How kind of God to send the prophet Micah. As for me, Micah says, I'm filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. And as I've just shown you, Micah's prophecy worked. The king And the people did repent, and God's judgment was averted. Well, fools reject warnings, and wise people accept rebukes. I hope you are a wise person, and not a fool. I don't think Australians are very good at taking rebukes. In the last five years I've rebuked two fellow ministers, not members of St Jude's I hasten to add, who were drinking too much. And one friendship ended and the other was reduced for a couple of years. Fools reject warnings, Proverbs tells us, but wise people accept rebukes. And the final section. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. And listen to the list of them. Her leaders judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for a price. Her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. How foolish. How foolish. How foolish. To support yourself with false assurance when you are fighting against God and God's ways. How foolish to say, well, God's on our side, when you're not on God's side. How foolish to say, God will save us, God will help us, if you don't embrace justice rather than despising it. Oscar Wilde said, the cynic knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. And to embrace justice and not despise it means there's no neutral territory. In the words of uh, Abbie Hoffman, the USAID commentator, democracy is not something you believe in, it's something you do. you just sit around believing in democracy, you take responsibility, don't you? you? pray and you try to vote wisely and you try to talk to your friends about important issues. That's what democracy means. It doesn't mean we're a democratic country that's nice. There's no neutral territory here in Micah 3. You either embrace justice or you despise it. You either pursue it or you ignore it. You either follow it or you regard it of no significance at all. We can't just assent to the theory, but we have to pursue the practice. Do it, love it, and embrace it. So what does it mean then to work for justice in the Church? Well, there is inequality in a Church when some people have influence and others do not. There's inequality when men have influence and women don't, when old-timers have influence and newcomers don't, when people of one ethnic group have influence and another ethnic group don't, or one social group have influence and another doesn't. There is inequality in churches, which when churches use resources which they should share with other churches or contribute to other churches or missions. I used to be minister of a church not a long way away from here, this site, and I used to occasionally ponder the question, are the resources we are using each week being used justly? That is, is there an appropriate outcome from the energy we're using to keep this church going? And is it an outcome which benefits people outside the church as well as people inside the church? That's a question of justice, and every church should face it. There is inequality when some people work too hard for the church and others don't work hard enough. There is inequality when a church exists for its internal life and does not equip its people to serve in the wider community or does not pay its gospel debt to the community and the world. And there's injustice in churches when people employed by the church have low standards or conditions of employment or payment. So I was in Perth, in May doing some teaching and a theological student came to me and he said, I've I've just been offered a job, a ministry job in a church for next year and I'm wondering if I ought to pursue it. I said, well tell me about the job. So he talked about it for a while and it seemed to be very light on detail. I said, is there a job description? He said, no there isn't. I said, are there terms of employment? He said, no there aren't any. I said, is there a a contract? No, there isn't. Do you know to whom you'd be responsible and accountable? No, I don't. I said, don't go there. (laughs) Embrace justice, don't despise it. Jesus criticized the Pharisees. You neglect justice, mercy and faithfulness. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray for this Church of St. Jude's. And I, we pray that we would embrace justice within our church life and not despise it. Let's think of working for justice in our nation and our world. This is about how we speak, what values we commend, what values we work for, how we influence public opinion, what causes we support, engage in, what injustices we protest against, talk about, write about, what issues in our local community we take up, how we love our neighbour by embracing and pursuing justice. well, there are so many issues of injustice in our world, it's hard to know where to start. My advice is choose one issue and get to know about it really well and think carefully about how to act on it, what to do about it, how to speak about it, uh, how to write letters to the politicians about it. If you try and take on every issue of injustice I'm afraid your life uh, 24 hours a day won't be long enough. So my advice is take one issue of injustice in our nation, in our world and work hard on that one. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us to embrace justice in our world. To love justice and not despise it. A few words to those who have not yet thought that you will face God's justice. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We often look for people's approval, don't we, rather than for God's well done. And we often fear human rejection, not God's perfect judgment. I must confess there are some sins I don't commit only because I know I will face the judgment seat of Christ. We may get away with it in this life, we won't get away with it for eternity. Our lives matter for eternity. What we do now matters for eternity. What we don't do now matters for eternity. Our lives matter for eternity. We matter for eternity. For after death we all face the judgment seat of Christ. Gracious God, please change us so that we embrace justice and love mercy and walk humbly with you. Please help us to prepare for that judgment seat and shape our lives by your will. But also to those who don't find justice in this world. What does justice mean in the case of Cassius Turvey and his alleged killer? Nothing will bring Cassius back to life. And what is one human life worth? His family may find closure. Will they find justice? But actually billions of people face injustice every day in our world, don't they? And one message for young people is, one day you will suffer unjustly. Everyone will suffer injustice sometime in in your life. Uh, Because even a good justice system is a bit blunt in the way it administers justice, because it can work on what people have done, but not on their inner motivations. If you face injustice, you should fight it. But if you don't get it, then follow the Lord Jesus, who entrusted himself to him who judges justly, that is, to God. Dear Father, we pray for those among us who suffer injustice and for those in our world who suffer injustice. Please inspire and encourage them with the example of the Lord Jesus. And as I've talked about the judgment seat of Christ, as as we've talked about and thought about Uh, embracing justice uh, and not despising it, embracing it and doing it. Please remember that we can embrace justice and we should, but we can also embrace the forgiveness of Christ for our sins of injustice. We can also embrace Christ as our Saviour. Think of the thief on the cross who said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He was not a just man, he was a thief. Remember me when you come into your kingdom? Jesus answered, truly, today you'll be with me in paradise. For God is a God of justice and of mercy, of righteousness and forgiveness. Gracious God, for those of us who live in fear of you, help us to live with confidence in your love, grace, kindness, compassion, mercy and forgiveness. In Jesus' name, Amen. So dear friends, I urge you, I beg you, I entreat you in the life of this church, embrace justice and do not despise it. In your local community, embrace justice and do not despise it. In this nation, embrace justice and do not despise it. In this world, embrace justice, do not despise it. And may God, the just judge of all people and all nations, bring his justice to this world and enable us to embrace justice for Jesus' sake. Amen.